Father, we are grateful uh, for your word and uh, what it promises us. Lord, help us to focus on you and what lies ahead of us, Lord. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will being done in the world around us. Use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, you know, we're here to discuss, uh, you know, prophecy and end times things and current events is what we're going to look at. I'm going to try to keep it, you know, fairly concise and not go until zero dark 30, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll try to uh, cover some topics. So, um, in particular, uh, Jesus makes great predictions about um, the end of the world and things that are going to be transpiring. Um, what's very important to understand is that the Bible does this throughout uh, its writing, throughout its authorship. There are a number of things about the Bible we you know we hear people criticizing the Bible all the time you know oh, it was written by men uh, so it must be flawed well the scripture does it claims to have been written by God not men okay um, it also claims to be perfect and without flaw right if I make that claim deceiving I'm perfect without flaw if I make that claim that it's foolish Right? And you will, in a very short period of time, be able to recognize my flaws and then point out to me, uh, you're inaccurate. I've noticed your flaws. You're not perfect. Well, the scripture makes the claim to have been breathed forth by God and to be without flaw. And it has been in existence for thousands of years as people have tried to find the flaws and tried to find the contradictions. And as much as you hear people say, oh, it's full of contradictions. There are no contradictions. It's just the critics who don't like it, who want to imply that it's not worthy of our attention, not worthy of our focus. Many of you have heard me uh, uh, expound upon this in the past. I'm going to do it again regarding the first five books of the Bible. Um, and their numeric construct. I'm not a guy who gets all caught up with, um, uh, you know, Bible code, you know, if you've read any of that stuff, things like that. But God claims to have written this book uh, and that he used men to write this book the same way you use a pen to write a letter or your keyboard to type something up, uh, that the men were simply instruments used by God. So, some things to examine, and this is all throughout the scripture, and if you're interested in examining the numerical structure within the Bible, there is a complete volume of this written by Dr. Ivan Panin that you can examine on your own. But the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. They are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There are numeric significance throughout the scripture. Uh, you might be aware that the number seven, uh, you know, people often say, you know, it means perfection. It really means completion. 
Okay, God finished creation and six days on the seventh day rested, making a completion to the entirety of creation. And there are a number of other things throughout the scripture. Man is often referred to by the number of six. We were created on the sixth day. You may be familiar in regard to prophecy, Revelation chapter 13, the beast who is going to come, the Antichrist, his number is 666 an unholy trinity uh, that you see uh, there. Uh, Numeric uh, number 12 uh, often refers to uh, human government. Okay, Uh, 40 will often refer to judgment. 50. 50 biblically actually refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit, interestingly enough. Uh, In that, uh, stay with me in this if you're thinking like, wow, we've come right off the rails. Just stay with me for a second and examine this. It's really very intriguing. Um, The number 50 signifying the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So from the Feast of Unleavened Bread, those of you that are serious biblical students, uh, you then have Passover, right? The Passover lamb was offered. 50 days later, you come to Pentecost, okay? They honored Pentecost with the ingathering of the wheat and the harvest, and they gave to the Lord from the harvest of the wheat. Uh, New Testament students of the scripture know that the gathering of the wheat symbolizes the church, the fruitfulness to the Lord, the ingathering and the harvest of souls that will go to be in eternity with him. So the number 50, right? Acts chapter two at Pentecost, Jesus, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, uh, 40 days of ministry. So 50 days from Passover, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Tongues of fire, they speak in tongues. Massive conversion of thousands of people from the Jewish faith into the Christian faith, and they return to all of those countries that they had come from, and the church just explodes into world history. So the fruitfulness to the Lord symbolized the coming of the Holy Spirit. So, so, so the number 50 is very significant in regard to the coming of the Holy Spirit, the creation of the church, and uh, the uh, harvesting of souls to be fruitful to the Lord. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses, are referred to as the Torah, T-O-R-A-H, which means law to the Jews. In particular, in the middle of those five books is the law, Leviticus, that gives us all of the different legal ramifications of how the nation of Israel was supposed to behave and conduct themselves in a lot of regards. If you take the book of Genesis and Exodus prior to Leviticus and you you find the first occasion of a T in the book, 50 letters later there's an O. And 50 letters later there's an R. And 50 letters later there's an A. And 50 letters later, there's an H. And 50 letters later, there's a T. And 50 letters later, there's an O. And 50 letters later, there's an R-A-H. T-O-R-A-H, T-O-R-A-H. Every 50th letter through Genesis and through Exodus to Leviticus, pointing to the law. Now, if you go to the other end of the spectrum, 
Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you get to Deuteronomy, start backwards. Come to the first T, you guessed it, every 50th letter. Backwards through Deuteronomy and Numbers, Torah, 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 Torah. In the Hebrew language, back to the Torah. Genesis and Exodus pointing to the Torah, every 50th letter. Numbers and Deuteronomy backwards pointing to the Torah, meaning this is the law. Follow that? I hope you're grasping how completely impossible it is for a human being to create that. Now, the book of Leviticus. You don't find the numerical sequencing of Torah over and over again. God's name is every 50th letter. Y-H-W-H, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Improperly translated Jehovah in many of our writings and in the Bible. Uh, it, you know, it, 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 we don't know how it was pronounced, and there's a big, long story behind all of that. But Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Y-H, referred to as the tetragrammation, God's name. God signed the law through Moses' hand. Torah, 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 Torah. This is the Torah at Leviticus. Backwards, Torah, 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 Torah. This is the law. This is the Torah. And then God signs his name every 50th letter. We've tried to reproduce that. From a human sense, from a mechanical sense, from a computational sense, it's completely impossible to just space any given word apart by any sequencing of numbers that we choose and then to write in between those letters and make them read anything that would make sense in any regard. We've tried for all of these centuries to recreate that, and it's impossible. God signed the word of God to let you know that his hand is the one that authored it, not man, right? The next argument is, oh, well, you know, it, it uh, you know, was maybe written, but it has uh, been, um, you know, not, uh, oh, here we go. You're saying about the audio? They're complaining. Now they can. You have to plug it in. We're really organized around here. So um, th then people will say, well, it's been altered over time. It's been changed. It's been rewritten. It's been corrupted. Well, thousands of years pass from the original texts that are written to the Bible that you have in your hands. If we could only find those original texts, we could compare the Bible of yesteryear to the Bible of today. Right? You know where I'm headed. Dead Sea Scrolls, 1957. They compare what was found to what we have today, identical, unchanged. This book has not been changed. This book was written by God. Now move to prophecy. Right? Oh, everybody prophesies. No, they don't. Right? You hear that as though that's the truth. You know, all religions have prophets. No, they don't. Only Christianity has prophets. Well, you know, the Jewish religion, Judaism and Christianity. Only Judaism and Christianity have prophets because, right, God makes this great claim. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the ever-present one. Okay, and we, you know, interpret that into English, and that's how we derive that. What was said, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, God said to the prophets, I am the past, 
I am the future. All things are the present to me. Okay, that, that, that's a very different way of looking at it. Right? It's not that he's here with us like we are, where all we've ever experienced in our entire state of existence is the present. Right where the rubber meets the road, we might say. Right? You're not in the past at all. Much as your memories right, are there, uh, you're not in the past. And you're definitely not in the future. You make all kinds of plans and they all fall apart, right? You're not in the future. God says, I am the past. I am the future. All things are the present to me. So he can speak of the future with a perfect accuracy. Right? Because it's not that he's here looking up towards the future and he's just God so he can see all these things perfectly clear. According to what he's saying is, I'm in the future, I am the future. So let me tell you about the future. Right? Take one man, Abraham, Ur of the Chaldees, and say to him, I'm going to make a nation out of you, Israel. One meaningless, right, idol-worshipping man, I'm going to convert you into worshipping the one true living God, I'm going to build a massive nation out of you. From Abraham, I'm going to create the nation of Israel. That's what he tells him. So, uh, you know, time passes, 12 offspring, 12 tribes, they're taken into Egypt, they become the slaves of the Egyptian empire, they live there for hundreds of years, and they become millions of people. Until God sends Moses and frees them out of Egypt and puts them into the promised land, Israel, Canaan, and tells them, as long as you worship me, I'm going to bless you. You stop worshiping me, you're going to experience the curses that all your neighbors have been experiencing. They fall into sin and they begin to worship the idols and do what the nations around them have been doing and God begins to send prophets to them to warn them. You've got to change your ways or it's all going to come down on your head. Isaiah, in the midst of that, is one of those prophets. And he confronts the nation of Israel and their false gods. And he hangs all of his own authority on prophecy. Isaiah chapter 41, 21 God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says to the nation of Israel and their false gods, Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things that were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. Yes, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. God hangs his authority on the ability to tell the future. The word of God, the Bible, is the only record of perfect prophecy other people make attempts at it right uh, you know the ones that are held up for the public to see are less than 30 percent accurate you know nostradamus everybody's always 
you know, fascinated. You go through the checkout line and here's the latest tabloid declaring Nostradamus's predictions. Profoundly inaccurate, right? You know, he predicts things really accurately. World War II predicts, you know, even the Twin Towers falling, right? Puts them in the total wrong time place, right? Gets names, dates, figures completely wrong. The Lord predicts Cyrus is going to come and conquer Babylon 150 years before Silas is born. Names him by name, refers to Cyrus as my shepherd. Remarkable, right? So impressive that when he invades Babylon, the nation of Israel are slaves at the time in Babylon. The Jewish scholars ask audience with him now that he's the conquering king and they come in and they say we just want to show you something and they take him right to the scripture and say look here god named you by name and even said how you were going to divert the river that ran under the walls of babylon and how you were going to march your troops under the walls and how you were going to cut through the gates and how you were going to come up and you were going to take this city without even you know any physical battle he was so impressed. That had been written 150 years before he was born. He, it was, he was so impressed that he made the proclamation there that Israel would be set free, that their God was the only true and living God and that they would be set free. It didn't come for a little while. They were eventually set free. But, but the scripture predicts things the way, with perfect accuracy the way that no one else does. No one else does this. Buddhism doesn't have prophets, right? Not even, not even Islam has prophets. Everybody points to these other religions. Oh, it's just another religion. No, it's not. God is hanging his authority on prophecy and saying, you know, watch, measure me. If the things I predict don't come true, reject me, just like you reject the false gods. Just like you recognize how meaningless they are, you can lump me in with them if I'm ever inaccurate. Perfect accuracy is what he has given us. One of the things that Jesus predicted was, you know, that we would be seeing a push towards one world order, right? One world religion, one world money, right? All of these things predicted, and we'll, we'll look at some of those things specifically. But he said that those things would come in waves, like uh, birth pains is how he described them, right? When my wife had our first... Uh, daughter, you know, Christian was born uh, in the beginning of November. And, uh, you know, beginning of October, Lori started having Braxton Hicks. Right, right, ladies? You know, it's just, we flew into a panic, you know, young married couple, and uh, she's in labor, and we're now, you know, we're in the emergency room. And they're being real polite, you know, to say, no, this is Braxton Hicks. And you can go, you know, the first time. By the third or fourth time we're showing up in a panic, they're like, hey, cut it out. <clears throat> when this young lady goes into labor, it's going to be nothing like this. And you will know the difference between this and labor. It will be so profound. And, uh, you know, we, we won't have to be guessing when we reach that point. Jesus said that the end of things would be like that. There would be things that come right people are like oh mark of the beast right one world money that's a you know 
social security number. Well, it's not. Social security number is not the mark of the beast. It is a precursor. It is preparing people for it. And we're seeing all kinds of things right now. The government is demanding of us, demanding obedience. You must do this. You cannot do that. You cannot go to church. You know, they're, they're demanding these things. All of these things are precursors to what is eventually going to come where they seize total control. Total control of all things. So, you know, within this, uh, why don't we look at a couple things? If you've got your Bible with you, I want to just run through a few things, and then I want to get to what I think is some of the most significant stuff that's going on in the world today, and in particular in the church today. So, Luke chapter 21, Jesus speaking. Verse 25, Luke 21, verse 25, Jesus says, And there will be signs in the, in the, uh, signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations. Right? We could talk about the signs on the sun right now. Uh, there is massive amount of solar flare happening in ways that we've not seen in the past bigger than we've ever seen right more long sustained than we've ever seen more frequently together than we've ever seen and they think that that's partly due to the gaseous change over the fact that the sun is burning off 120 million tons of mass a second okay so so the um as it gets smaller, the sun shrinks by about five inches every single year, just in case you were wondering. As it gets smaller, right, it, it, it changes in its gaseous compound. And so it behaves differently. It's dying, right? The cool red dwarf star that we circle 365 and a quarter years, or 365 and a quarter days every year is burning out, right? Jesus makes the statement elsewhere in the scripture that the moon will turn blood red, right? And people have speculated for a long time that, well, you know, given what the scripture describes about the change in the sun, you know, that might make sun sense, different things going on. Well, interesting, NASA uh, announced last year uh, because a number of amateur astronomers looking through their telescopes began to notice that there is this reddish hue that is beginning at the north and the south pole not that there's a north and south pole of the moon but the top and the bottom there's this reddish hue that is beginning to develop and everybody's like is this our telescopes is this our atmosphere is this actually on the moon what is this and NASA had to confirm, yeah, we've actually been studying that for a few years. The moon is rusting. We don't know how and we don't know why. But the sun, the, the moon is actually in the process of turning red. That's NASA's assessment. Is that what that's going to be? We don't know. It should shock you. <laughs> right? 
It should raise the hair on the back of your neck and make you pay attention to God's word. To the things that he's been telling us are coming. <clears throat> Distress of nations, right? I know you haven't noticed that anywhere, right? <clears throat> Just the overwhelming distress of nations, right? And, you know, you have to search, but if you go search, uh, Australia's losing its mind right now, spinning out of control. They're arresting people for leaving their homes. They're literally arresting people for just going out of the house. They, ha they have seized total control you know how that happened first was they kept presenting to the people of australia how dangerous firearms are and you need to get rid of firearms everybody's killing one another and we need to get rid of we need to get rid of firearms and they convinced them to give up their firearms now the citizens have no ability to protect themselves against a tyrannical government that says you can't go for a walk they're taking over, okay? America, we are the most murderous nation on the planet. 92,000.6 murders, homicides last year. You know how many of them were committed by firearms? Less than 1,200. You see, that's a big number. No, it's not compared to 92,000. You know how most people died in homicides? Blunt force trauma. People smashing one another over the head. Right? The problem is the murderous heart. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very, very serious problem. How about this? Less than 1,200 cases, right? Uh, that's tragedy. I, I'm not trying to say anything about that. Are you aware that on 189 thousand occasions last year americans defended their life or the life of others with firearms their life was under threat or someone who was innocent was under threat and they defended themselves or other people with a firearm on 189,000 occasions. What happens if you take all of the firearms away from those people who defended themselves? How high is the homicide rate going to be? 189,000 people higher, possibly. Okay? You take the citizenry ability to defend themselves against a tyrannical government. And what do you think a tyrannical government's going to do? They're going to take over. If you've wondered, well, I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, then you haven't studied history at all. Because every time this has happened in history, every single time, the governments have taken over. 100% of the time, not 40% or 20% or 60% or let's roll the dice on some percentage, 100% of the time. The perplexity that is going on, the absolutely absurd call to abolish police departments, 
how completely insane do we have to be to either suggest it or entertain the concept? Right? I don't know if you're aware of it or not. My hometown, my birthplace, Burlington, Vermont, you know, being very progressive and liberal, they all decided that was a good idea. You've heard about Portland, Oregon, and some of the other... If I told you that Burlington, Vermont had become incredibly, incredibly violent and crime-ridden, would you, would you have believed that? It's out of control. Out of control right now, much like Portland, Oregon. Much like all these other places, the perplexity of nations. Jesus is telling us, right, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Oceanic activity right now is in a massive upheaval. All kinds of oceanic change that's inexplicable. You know, you know, people are saying things like global warming. Okay. Well, I don't know if that's true. I don't. I'm not trying to get on either side of that subject. Okay. What I can tell you is I do agree with the concept of global climate change. Okay. What direction are we headed? Cooling or warming or both, right? Really, really difficult for me to tell you what's going on. I can tell you it is happening, but everybody that's screaming about how it's a result of our internal combustion engines Okay, this big push towards developing electrical, you know, thick vehicles and all this different stuff. You, you know, you know, right, what the two most prominent sources of electrical production are, right? Are, are do you know? It's not solar. It's not wind. Okay, uh, whether you're aware of it or not, that's less than five percent of the production. You know who the number one promoter of solar power and wind power is? Big oil. Big oil. They take out, they'll pay, you. oh, you want to build a solar field? They'll pay for the promotion. They'll pay for the lawyers that will fight with the communities. Big oil will pay for that all day long. Because it's less than 5% of their competition. If you say, we're going to build the world's safest nuclear power plant right over there, they're going to show up in mass and they are going to fight that for all they're worth. Because that can easily eclipse them. Propane and coal are the number one and two producers of electricity on the planet. Now, all these people that are like, we got to shut down... That suburban right there, that motor's way too big and it's wiping out the planet. Okay, right? How many of you guys right now do this for me right now? Pull it out. <clears throat> Have you got one in your pocket? Right? No, a smartphone. Hold it up, man. Not, not your flip phone. <clears throat> this, this, yours in your hand is using more power every single day than a suburban. There's a massive worldwide network that has to run 24 hours a day 
seven days a week in order for this to work the way that I've become addicted to it working. No? How quickly do you lose your mind if you don't have any signal? Right? Somebody just mentions, you know, some statistic about flying fish, and you're like, what is going on? I've got no signal. You can't believe that you can't find out about that subject. Like right now, some of you are like, oh, flying fish. No. You want to get power production down, you're going to have to get power consumption down. And all that is happening is our power consumption is growing exponentially. All of the industries that are like, yeah, we need to convert, we need to get away from fossil fuels, they are using massive amounts of power more and more every single day. You, you want to get away from fossil fuel? I'm all for that. Great, let's do that. I'm fine with that. Do that. Nobody's doing it. No one's doing it at all, not even remotely, right? Because the thing that's going to get you away from fossil fuel electricity that has been produced is if the consumption of electricity continues to go down and all that's happening is it's skyrocketing skyrocketing right nations that can't afford to feed their children are putting up 5g towers and distributing cell phones to everybody giving them away Letting you pay for them over your entire lifetime. You know what I'm saying? Just sign up. Crazy. Well, that people don't even look at what the real picture is. What we're doing is we're digesting what's being fed to us. The ideas that are just being spoon-fed. So we can feel good about ourselves. Aren't you sick to death of all these people that are screaming about, Stop! You know, all of this pollution as they fly around the world on their private jet to convince everybody that they need to stop polluting the planet. I tell you what, man. You get your bicycle back out, throw your cell phone and your computer away, and start preaching to me, I might listen to you. But you live in that massive mansion, and you got all those people working for you, your carbon footprint, give me a break. Why are we listening to you? Why? Really hard to consider that whole process. The, the oceans and the things that are going on, men's hearts failing them for fear. Tell me, tell me, 2020 and 21 have not shown you the power of fear. People are so scared. So scared, right? Have you guys been hearing the news this week? There's more COVID positive cases than ever before. You know why? Uh, if you're not aware of it, it's not because there's more people sick with COVID. It's because the government has put mandates on everybody that you can't have your job and you can't go to school and you can't do any of these things unless you've had this test. So people are like, I got to go get tested. Where a year ago, two years ago, they were like, yeah, I got sick, might have been COVID. I think it was COVID, but I don't know. Now they're saying, no, you can't do that. You have to go find out. 
People standing in line for three hours to get tested. Why? I'm Again, I'm not even on one side or the other of this issue. What I'm saying is there's more positive cases because there's that much more testing going on. They're finding it everywhere. They're finding it in everyone. And so oh, we've all got to panic about that. Then what are they telling us about Omicron, right? It is way more contagious than anything previously, and yet far less dangerous. Okay, so fear, just, just fear, just create fear and get everyone to obey according to fear. It's really interesting. We're not allowed to think for ourselves. We're not allowed to process anything. They tell us what we can think, what we can't think, what we can do, what we can't do. This is conditioning. And it isn't just a conspiracy theory, you guys. You understand? This has gone on historically over and over and over and over again. There's nothing new about what's going on here. Fear. Men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectations of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens are shaken. You know, the things in the atmosphere, the things outside. NASA, they're a wonderful organization. I'll just hit this point, which I've given to you many times. How many of you guys have seen those beautiful pictures that uh, the Hubble telescope has taken? Have you seen those? The nebulous clouds and just all of the... Do you know that those are fake? That's not my take on it. NASA, go look it up. Pull your phone out right now and look it up. Are the images from Hubble real or fake? They're fake. Most of what comes back to the Hubble telescope is electronic information, positive and negatives. They're looking at pulsation of light with extreme detail. They give some of those images to artists and they put them in Photoshop and they doctor them until when you look at them, you're just blown away. None of those, most of what comes back is black and white. There's not even any color in it at all. They're adding stars. Like people, the astronomers looking at the photographs are like, what is this constellation? <laughs> this, I, don't, I don't know this constellation at all. And when they contact them and ask, they're like, oh, well, it's, you know, if you look and you minus all of that, there's a real constellation right there, but we added all the rest. They, they don't shy away from it when confronted, right, because it's going to come out. They have said... Right? This is a multi-billion dollar organization. And we need the taxpayers' dollars to pay for this. So we built these presentations in order to win the public's approval so that they will not oppose the billions of dollars of budgets that's coming out of their taxes and going into our pocket. It's PR. You guys, it's so that we won't protest. Do you know the prominent portion of what NASA does? Because, you know, everybody throws in that education thing. Like, oh, those scientists, they're up there figuring stuff out. Like, you can't, you know, the prominent portion of what they're doing. And again, not conspiracy theory is it's spy work. They're putting satellites into orbit for the governments of the world, and then they're maintaining that system for the governments of the world. 
It's not like you go into outer space and you just can't even believe it. There's just a massive nebulous field of you know, platinum that you can harvest and bring back to earth and sell. What is out there? Communications equipment, right? They're, do they're doing more about looking at earth than they are about looking away from earth. The lies were being fed continuously, constantly. You know, the powers in the sky, the heavens will be shaken. NASA failed to tell the American public that, uh, you know, it, it, it was 1.2 million miles away. And people go, well, that's a long way. You know, asteroid whizzes by, right, 77,000 miles per hour. 77, that's really fast. You know what I'm saying? That would have vaporized the planet. It was, it was more than a half mile wide. And they go, hey, 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 calm down, man. It was 1.2 million miles away. 1.2 million miles away. In regard to space, that's not a huge distance. Okay? The moon, you know, is only, what, 180,000 miles away. So how many times farther? Not that far. It was past us when we saw it. You ever do that? Almost step out in traffic and the vehicle goes by and you're like, oh my gosh, I almost flattened myself there. Did you see that? Almost pull out in front of somebody, shakes your whole vehicle. You feel like a doofus for two and a half minutes, right? There's stuff going on right now. We didn't know, oh, we're tracking all of it. We're tracking. Like we can see everything in space? No, we can't. There are things happening all the time. Right now, there's two that are headed in that they're trying to convince us it's not going to be a problem. Read the book of Revelation, right? You got two events that one is almost certainly asteroid striking Earth, poisoning the waters of the Earth. A second one may actually be a comet or the effects of a comet. Serious proclamations ahead of us. The things that the scripture predicts, wormwood, poisoning the entire earth. You need to be aware of what lies ahead. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, begin to happen, okay? You know, my wife was having Braxton Hicks. Yes, we're beginning the birthing process. We ran to the hospital. I'll tell you what, the night that she had our daughter, there was no question, and we were completely committed to being at that hospital. And we were like, yes, this is distinctly different, for sure. Birth had arrived. When you see these things start to happen, when these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. All of these things happening around us, right? We're going to talk about some specifics. But you, you should be able to agree with me that it's begun to happen. And if it's begun to happen, then lift your eyes up. Stop being all worried about the things of earth and know that what the Lord has predicted. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now I'm hopefully just going to rail through a number of things here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. 
Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, but concerning the times and the seasons, remember that, times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And we often hear that, right? No man will know the hour nor the day. And he's going to come like a thief in the night. So you don't really know. Well, wait a second. He just said to us we don't have any need to be taught because we know perfectly well the times and the seasons. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, that's been preached incorrectly a lot of the time. Where people have taught, oh, there's going to be like this worldwide peace and the Antichrist is going to be in control of things. And for the first three and a half years, it's going to be warm and wonderful and comfortable. No, it's going to be full on chaos. And everyone's going to be saying, please, give us some peace. Please give us some safety. Are you not saying that yourself right now? I'm saying that. I'm thinking about my kids and my grandkids. And I'm saying, please, Lord, peace and safety. We're all saying it. At a time where the world is spun out of control, we will all be saying peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains, there it is, upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Here's what I want you to dwell on. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. How many times have you sat in a church where it's been preached to you as though it was going to overtake you like a thief in the night? We're well-educated. We are informed. These things are not going to catch us off guard, right? I always use the illustration of spring and fall. You see the leaves changing, right? Turning in the fall. You're like, hey, first signs of winter. And your friends are like, hey, shut up, you know. That's telling me the snow is on the way. When all of the leaves are changed, I better have already cut and split and stacked and covered all my wood. Because the snow could come at any time. It might come later. Usually isn't going to show up until sometime around December. But I've also experienced three and a half inches of snow on October 9th. The trees are warning me. God is telling me visually what season I am in. Right? If summer was cruising along and it was 85 degrees and you're fishing and enjoying and you get up the next day and all the leaves just go wham and hit the ground and then the snow falls, that would be horrible. Happens at a different time every year and you got no way of knowing when. When is winter coming? <laughs> Bang! I guess right now, you know. You can know the seasons, brothers and sisters. Look around you. The leaves are changing. The world is changing presently, and we should be prepared. We should be prepared. We should be ready. You, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We're not of blindness. We have the illumination of God's word. We don't have to fumble around in the present times going, I wonder if this is it. You suppose this is the end. This is the end. 
We're experiencing it right now. Some things that still are ahead of us, and I just want to touch on these briefly. Isaiah 17.1 tells us the burden against Damascus. This has never happened. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. Oldest city in the world. It has never been destroyed. It's been attacked and experienced great calamity. Syria and all that's going on there right now, that's not over. There's still more to develop there. Uh, many of you have asked me recently, what about Gog and Magog? What about Ezekiel chapter 38? Okay, in case you're wondering, I'll just hit two points in this so that as I read, your mind will have some clarity. Okay, uh, Magog... Translated into Greek became the word moxal. Sound like Moscow at all to you? Because moxal later became translated as Moscow. Okay, so Magog is most directly, and also another interesting thing, it took a translation through Latin and it became Rosh, which later became Russia. So if you had questions about who, who Magog is, stop wondering. Okay, Magog is almost certainly Russia and Moscow. Gog, uh, it was uh, Hal Lindsey. We all remember Hal Lindsey in his books. Uh, he was studying the Septuagint and found an obscure reference that referred to Gog, the Lord of the Flies. Do you know who the Lord of the Flies is? Lucifer. Satan himself. Gog and Magog will come down out of the north to invade Israel. Right? Up until 2017, there was nothing in Israel that any of the other countries of the world wanted. You can only use so much Dead Sea clay. You know what I'm saying? It's just not. And then they find the Leviathan gas fields. Largest gas fields in the world. Largest gas fields ever found under the Mediterranean, and onshore. Trillions of cubic tons of natural gas. You know who owns the largest natural gas distribution system in the world? Russia. Vladimir Putin owns the largest gas. You know who his biggest customers are? All of Europe. All of Europe. It's pumped into their homes the same way electricity comes into all of our homes. It's a utility. And, and Vladimir Putin is the main supplier. And as soon as they found it, he stepped right up to the negotiations. The first meeting that he had with Benjamin Netanyahu, they discussed 11 items in the first half hour. And they actually broke it down according to minutes. They're in there for a half hour. They discuss 11 items. 11. So that's like seconds apiece for some of those things, right? He discussed the Leviathan gas fields for the next hour and a half. The prominent portion of the discussion was about how he wants that. He wants the Leviathan gas fields of Israel, right? <clears throat> If the world had read Mein Kampf, right, and said, whoa, this is Adolf Hitler's plan. we got to pay attention to that guy and make sure he never does any of this. 
World War II would not have happened. Vladimir Putin wrote a book very similar to Mein Kampf. It has a Russian title. Can't pronounce it for you. In English, it's called The Last March South. And he summarizes his plan by saying, he doesn't ever say Israel, but he summarizes his plan by saying there will come a day where our Russian soldiers will be able to lounge on the farthest eastern shores of the Mediterranean in their summer uniforms. Where is that? Israel. Israel. He announced his plan to the world in 1992, by the way, what he was going to do. Ezekiel 38, now the word of the Lord came to me, the prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord, son of man, set your face against Gog, right? The land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. So interesting, Rasha. Meshach, Tubal, we're going to go through a number of different names here. Suffice it to say, I'm not going to break them all down for you. They are the Islamic nations that surround Israel right now that hate them and want to destroy them. The ones that are not listed are the ones that are friendly to them, interestingly enough. So, Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O God, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen. And in case you go, well, they don't even use horses anymore in the arts. Ridiculous. It literally just says cavalry. Okay. That could be the armored cavalry or the air cavalry. Right. We still have air cav. All splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. Oh, man, a few years ago, you'd have never said that, right? Until Barack Obama came into power and Hillary Clinton ran the State Department and they removed the Western friendly leaders from these countries and put in place insane Islamic leaders. So you got Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his troops, the house of Tugarma, from far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Verse 21, drop right down there. So massive invasion of the Islamic nations led by Russia. Verse 21, I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains in Israel, that is. Says the Lord God, every man's sword will be against his brother and it will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself. I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Jeremiah seems to support the idea that when this transpires and then the nations come in and invade Israel and God destroys them, uh, he seems to indicate that that's where Israel becomes aware that Jesus is their Messiah and their Savior. It's really quite remarkable. So, um, how about Psalm 38? So interesting. Where Israel is right now and the things that are going on, the world is turning on Israel. 
Psalm 83. 83. I might have said 38. Psalm 83. Do not keep silent, O Lord. Do not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom, the Ishmaelites, Moab, Hagrites, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, this is so interesting, Palestine, uh, the Philistines, Philistia, the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook of Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth. Make their bodies like Orb or like Zeb. Yes, all their princes like Zeba or Zalmunin. Um, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. Oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind, as the fire burns the woods, as the flames set the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. God is going to contend with those who contend with Israel. Propaganda, lies, all around us, about Israel, about current events, about all the stuff that's going on. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware. Of false prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And the, the false teachers are going to be everywhere around you, and you need to be aware of that. Uh, Acts chapter 20, stay with me on this. I, I want to get some points across, and we are going to get to questions and answers. So just try to stay with the concept here. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and 29, Paul said, Therefore take heed to yourselves. And to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Massive division in the church today. So many people going the way of the world. So many teachers adopting the opinions of an ungodly world all around us. Teaching those things from the pulpit. You know, we're here disobeying the government, saying, no, we're going to have church. You can't shut our doors. You're not allowed to do that. We're getting contacted by other churches and other pastors that are telling us, you're being incredibly ungodly. You're being incredibly sinful. You're a false teacher for having done that. Are you kidding me? Nobody gets to tell the church when they can and when they cannot worship God. Nobody gets to tell us that. 
John and Peter stood right up and opposed the civic and the religious leaders of the day when they said, you stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. They said, well, you're going to have to decide for yourself whether it's uh, correct for us to obey men rather than obeying God. As for us, we're going to obey God and we're going to continue to preach Jesus' name. And that's what we're going to continue to do. The propaganda is everywhere. Listen to this quote. Some of you are familiar with it. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent. For the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie. And thus, by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. Joseph Goebbels, propaganda minister under Adolf Hitler, World War II. Tell me we're not there right now. Right? Remarkable. How about this quote from Adolf Hitler? It is not truth that matters, but victory. Win, dominate, control. Not true. Right? Ask Facebook. They admitted two days ago that their censorship was not based on facts. It was based upon their political opinion. Right? Some of you have sent me quotes from Snopes.com. Right? Fact checkers. Right? Somebody says, uh, I hope you're aware Snopes is a husband and wife team. It is not a team of people. And, and the things they publish, they don't even research. It is their opinion. They have many times declared things to be false that turned out to be absolutely true and vice versa. Right, they've got a, a slightly larger team of people working with them now. It's, that's like me and my wife just sitting around, and somebody makes some proclamation. We're like, I don't think that's true because blah blah blah, and send, and that's what they're doing. It is. It isn't even factual. They do. They do no research. They do no research at all. Don't use Snopes.com to discover or verify things. How about this? I've, I've got like three more hours to go, so just stay with me here. Kidding. I don't try to wrap this up. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. Think about where we are right now. Satan weakening the nations. Not just America. Right? Not just America regarding Afghanistan. All of the nations of the world are being weakened. God's allowing it to happen. Revelation chapter 20, 
Beginning at verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more. What we are experiencing is deception. Worldwide deception. It's remarkable uh, to consider where we stand in time and all that is happening. Uh, Israel and the opposition to them, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a, a very heavy stone for all the peoples. How about all the conflicts, you guys, regarding Israel? All of the insanity worldwide, the Middle East, the, the Christ, all the different stuff for a nation that is a little smaller than Rhode Island. Like, what is the issue? Just stop. Here, they become a heavy stone for all the people. All who would heave it away, just get rid of this, will surely be cut in pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. All nations. It doesn't say all but one. That includes us. This nation is in the process of turning its back. And it will continue to. It will continue to. Nation after nation will align themselves against Israel. And eventually what will happen is Israel will have to realize that the only reason they've been preserved and protected is because of God's strength. They will rely upon the Lord in a way that's appropriate. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. But Zion said, Israel, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. The Lord answers in verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, this is so interesting. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me. His piercing, his death, his crucifixion. So remarkable. It is Israel. It's not Palestine, okay? You need to be clear about that. They refer to it as an Israeli occupation of Palestine. It is not. People are saying, you know, a two-state system would work. We just need to make two states, Palestine and Israel. You understand that the people who have rejected that and not accepted that have been the Islamic community? That's why it's not a two-state system is because the Islamic Communities say, no, we won't accept that. What they want is the annihilation of Israel, and they have said it publicly. They haven't hidden it. They're literally saying until there is no Israeli left, not one. We want them all destroyed. Where we stand right now, in time, remarkable. You know, the things that you know you could examine regarding uh, all of the people and the millions of dollars that are prepared to rebuild the temple, right? You know, for any of you that are like, yeah, I want to see that. That's going to be the Antichrist's temple, just in case you ever thought about that before. Okay, The, the end of things. It was the Roman emperor uh, 
Hadrian that renamed Israel Palestine in 135 AD to wipe out the memory of Israel. It, it has historically always been referred to as Israel. Uh, Golda Meir, uh, some people have said, Snopes included, have said uh, that she did not say these things. Okay, But it was later discovered that it was uh, from her oral autobiography. She uh, titled it, A Land of Our Own. She said, when peace comes, we will perhaps in time be able to forgive the Arabs for killing our sons. But it will be harder for us to forgive them for having forced us to kill their sons. Peace will come when the Arabs will love their children more than they hate us. They're trying to create peace there. Joe Biden's weakness has emboldened the weakening of the nations. Joe Biden's weakness has emboldened North Korea, Iran, China, Russia, the Taliban in Afghanistan, and many others. Because they recognize we're not there to punch nations in the face if they misbehave. We were in the past. No more. It's all gone. We now see a new prime minister in Israel who is almost as spineless as Joe Biden. You know, it's uh, Naftali Bennett has uh, undermined everything Israel built to protect itself. You know, regarding prophecy and end times, these things have to transpire. We have to build towards these things. You know, worldwide, Israel included, they champion the cause of gender identity, LBGTQ communities, BLM. You know, they don't tolerate the things like like we're not tolerating. You know, parents raising voices in school board meetings and town hall meetings. It's, it, worldwide, this is happening. It's all being shut down. People can't complain. People can't stand up and correct. People can't bring information, right? It's absolutely outrageous where we stand. I want to give you just a few more things. Last page of my notes. I really want to grind this point into our minds. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus speaking said to the believers, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by a man. <clears throat> salt, you guys have all heard me talk about this endlessly. Salt, way more than anything else in Jesus' day, was the chief source of food preservation. No refrigeration. Salt everything. Pack it in salt and preserve it. Meat and vegetables and anything you could, pack it in salt. Salt it and it will preserve it. It keeps decomposition from happening. It stops decomposition. When Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he wasn't saying, you guys lend such nice flavor to everything. It's just wonderful. Keep it up. 
He was saying to us that we're preserving the world from rotting to death. Right? World War One, even into World War Two, all the soldiers carried packets of salt as part of their medical kit. If somebody was wounded, very first thing you did, tear that open and pour it right in the wound. We today go, oh, that's like pouring salt in the wound. Look, if you're blown up, you don't really care. That's not the issue. The issue is we got to transport you from here in the field to where you can get proper medical attention, and we need to keep the gangrene from setting in. We need to pour salt in this wound to preserve your life. The world wants us to shut up. The world wants us to quiet down and back down. If we're not out there in the world protecting, preserving, do me a favor, please go get elected to a school board, would you? Be on a city council. Run to be a senator. The voice of Christ needs to be heard coming out of your mouth in all of these places. Christianity has curled up in a ball and hidden like a wounded infant child. It's time to stand up and fight back. In fact, that was long ago and we missed it. It's now time to stand up. Not Listen, not because you're full of yourself, not because you're smarter than anybody else, not because that you're full of pride, because there are weak and innocent people all around you that are going to get destroyed by this if you don't do something. Think of others. Not out of arrogance. Think of others like Christ came and sacrificed himself in order to provide salvation. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Sound dramatic to you? We here in Maine do it all the time, don't we? Rock salt. You wouldn't put that on your steak because it's full of rocks and dirt. But it melts the ice, right? <laughs> Does the job. Just throw it out. It's useless as far as your table goes. It needs to be protecting and preserving. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Well, you can do that. But it will destroy the basket. Right? Don't put it under the bed either, as he said. But on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 8 says, If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Salt and light. There's a whole bunch of people standing in the pulpit saying all kinds of wishy-washy things to the church. And people are left going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I kicking you in the pants enough right now? We need to move into action. If it's at your book club and you can talk to people, if it's in your bowling league and you can say the truth there, 
right? Your knitting club, the school board, wherever you're at, open your mouth and speak the truth to the people that are around you. The world needs to hear the message that is in your heart. We already talked about the fact that there are false prophets, and I want to end with this thought. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken of mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. We're watching that happen. Now, for those of you that are a little more serious about your studies and you're going, oh, I thought that pertained to the rapture. I believe that it does also. The Lord coming for the church. But tell me you're not watching a massive falling away from the faith right now. People, people are, number one, leaving churches in massive numbers. And the second thing that is happening is churches are still staying together and still meeting, but they're falling away from the truth of God's word. There is a massive apostasy that is happening right now around us. Don't wonder about where you are. Don't come to this Bible study and walk away thinking, oh, I don't really know. You know, people have been saying end of the world for a long time and just, no, no, we're there. We're there. We're seeing the things that the scripture predicted. And, and our own flesh would like us to be lazy and do nothing, not react. We need to be people of action. You need to at least be opening your mouth to all of the people that God has put in your sphere of influence, right? If that's the other welders in your shop, if that's the carpenters on your job, if that's the other teachers at your school, wherever Christ has put you, we need to open our mouths and share this message with the world. Make sense? Yes? Okay. Questions? Yes, Vicki. I have a problem with understanding or grasping. Remember the Sabbath. Yep. Because some of us say that's the Jewish people. <clears throat> I don't think the law was changed. It was nullified. Pardon? It was nullified. Yep. Jesus. No, the whole of the law, right, was completed by Jesus Christ. And so our our Sabbath, according to Hebrews, is Jesus. Paul specifically asks the question and says, uh, if well, he, he makes a statement in Colossians chapter two, beginning at verse sixteen, let no man judge you, right? in new moons, Sabbaths, or drink, because all of these things have an outward appearance of humility but are of no effect against the indulgences of the flesh. So, uh, you know, Paul raising the question of, you know, one man says this day is holy. Another man says, no, that day is holy. Others say, no, every day is holy. And he says, let each man be convinced in his own heart. Right? 
the church had this question, and it became a huge issue. And in Acts chapter 15, uh, all of the leaders of the church met together at Jerusalem and had the Jerusalem council, and they poured over, what are we going to require of the Gentiles? And the summary was two things. And they actually ended up writing a letter and distributing it, sending it out with Paul and others that said, stay away from idolatry and stay away from sexual immorality. Those are the two things that are required of the Gentile church. Stay away from idolatry and stay away from sexual immorality. So, you know, as far as keeping the law goes, um, you know, the, the early church immediately began worshiping on what they referred to as the day of the Lord, uh, which was Sunday. Uh, here, here's a thought. <clears throat> God creates six days. Adam's created on the sixth day. His first day of existence is actually the Sabbath. Okay? So then the new week begins. Uh, Jesus Christ comes, he's crucified, buried, resurrected on the first day, the new creation, right? Move into the book of Revelation. There, John tells us, I looked and behold, a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. What are we looking forward to, saints? The new heaven and the new earth, the new creation. We are children of the eighth day, right? The new week. So as far as salvation goes, we're saved by grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If I say, well, um, the only way I'm going to be acceptable to God is if I go to church on Saturday. Then what I'm saying is my works are going to save me. <coughs> same with baptism. Same with any other work that we might add to it. Jesus only. That answer some of your question? Okay. Others? Come on. You're just thinking about the food that's sitting out there, aren't you? Yes. Yep. 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 No, we're spending money right now. Um, <clears throat> Look into uh, a satellite system on your own called the Hammer of God, and that's that'll blow your mind. Titanium rods in orbit that they can just drop out of satellite, you know, going many, many, many more times the speed of sound when they strike the Earth. Pinpoint accuracy. Put it right, right on a dime. If they have all kinds of various sizes, you know, stuff that could level a city, stuff that could just turn you into ash, you know. I mean, if if it's the size of a needle, but it's doing like seven, eight, nine, ten times the speed of sound when it hits you, bad things happen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because it's dropped from outside the Earth's atmosphere and falls in. Yeah, just like everything does that's dropped from outside the Earth's atmosphere. God's hammer. Yes. Uh, well, politics. I don't get into politics. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Go ahead. Yeah. 
you had mentioned earlier. I mean, how treacherous it's become. Yep. People have crossed moral boundaries and lines, and it just seems to control everything, including the church. Yep. I mean, just the way that everything you just talked about yep. is molding and shaping you know, together. Mm. We need to be involved. The biggest reason that it is so corrupt is because Christianity has relegated that to the secular world and allowed them to do whatever they wanted to. Um, separation of church and state, right? We hear that. Not in the Constitution at all. Okay. Thomas Jefferson uh, wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptists because they had written him and said, hey, you're forming this new government. I'm paraphrasing if you didn't notice. You're forming this new government, and we're really worried that it's going to become just like the government of England, and you know what's going to stop anybody from just being a tyrannical king? And he responded to them in his letter. He took a sermon from their minister, and that sermon was entitled The Garden of God. And in that sermon, the minister had portrayed Christianity as a garden where he said, the minister said, the, the church is a garden that God has created and planted and he has built a great wall of separation around the garden, separating the church from politics. But God will... When the church falls into sin from time to time, tear down the wall, the great wall of separation between church and state, and he will allow the influences of the state to encroach upon the church until the church repents, and then God will restore the great wall of separation. How remarkable. And Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptists and said, I agree entirely with the message of God's garden and the great wall of separation between church and state. That's where that all comes from. Is the, is the fact, there is no wall of separation, right? We are supposed to be in the state making the changes and protecting and preserving. The wall of separation was God saying, I will not allow the state to infringe upon the church unless she falls into sin. Tell me we're not seeing the church in sin. Tell me we are not seeing the state encroach upon the church. What's the answer? Repentance. Repent and God will restore. We don't even have to go through the process. God will restore the wall. Right? Consider that. So, thoughts, questions, other questions? Yes. I don't know your name. Go ahead. Um, why do you think people have hatred for God? Because they don't want to obey Him. Why is that? Because we are sinful. I, I, I don't want to obey God. That may shock people because I'm a pastor. Our sinful nature does not want to obey God. So you have to submit yourself right now to God for salvation. If you receive 
salvation from the Lord, then you will go to be in his presence when you die, and then you will obey him. If you don't obey him now and you die, then you will be put out of his presence and be in hell, and there it doesn't matter whether you obey him or not. Nope. I'd like to say you could. You know, I've searched it front to back, and this is it. This is this is the time to choose right now. Here's the beautiful thing. All you got to do is say, I believe I'm a sinner. And if you don't believe you're a sinner, ask the person sitting next to you. They'll confirm it for you. <clears throat> you admit you're a sinner. You recognize, so biblically, scripturally, over and over again, Jesus claimed to be God. So God became the man Jesus. Perfect, without sin, he was crucified by the human race. So a sinless man, the one and only sinless man, was killed unnecessarily. Every single one of us is going to die because of our sin. We don't deserve eternal life. We deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity. If you sin, you can't dwell in the presence of the Lord. If you agree that Jesus was perfect and he died unnecessarily and you simply admit, I'm a sinner who's in need of forgiveness, will you give me your eternal life? He will give you his perfection. And with that, he will also give you his Holy Spirit so that you have the strength to overcome sin in this life. You're still going to have sinful desires and you're going to have to contend with that, but it becomes an entirely different game after you have asked Jesus to come into your Wait. Forgive me. All the former criminals in this room, raise your hand and testify to the fact that once you prayed that prayer and gave your life to Christ, it became an entirely different fight, didn't it? Right? Amen. Amen. Criminal. So you have the opportunity right here, right now, tonight, to accept Jesus Christ and uh, experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and have victory and have eternal life. Talk to me more about it. Okay. Uh, on that main thought about this is the opportunity. Yep. Uh, I believe, isn't there something about our purpose in life here is to resolve the conflict of the angels on whether or not God is a just God and his yeah, yeah. They, uh, the angels long to look into the plan of salvation. Yes, yeah. They are, they are examining the grace of God. Uh, Hebrews tells us that, and then Peter tells us that also. They are constantly examining the grace of God out, the mystery of the grace of God at work in our lives. Yeah, because yeah, they've experienced eternal judgment all at once. Yeah, Satan said that he was going to exalt himself above the throne of God, and God summarily said, you're done. And all the angels that followed him received the same judgment, and the angels that remained obedient to the Lord were basically granted eternal life at that point. So, yeah, mo one moment of time. 
Somebody else raise their hand. Over. I'm ready for it. Yes. Just a, a comment. Remember sure. A couple of years ago, um, that RV that exploded down in Nashville. Yes. There was some talk about how that could have been the hammer of God. Yeah. There was no other building. Nothing else was destroyed except for that pinpoint spot. Yeah. And some military friends I had signed said that probably the hammer of God. Yeah, I um I avoid all of that sort of stuff because um here here's the deal like conspiracy theories it's very interesting um and I've heard heard that um I have friends in government I have friends in FBI acquaintances and I get information I avoid all of that and the reason that I avoid all of that is because like like the prophecy God hangs his credentials on. And he says, if I'm ever wrong, then you can throw it all out. If I start saying and promoting things that I can't verify or that later are proven to be untrue, then the entirety of my message falls under question. So I, I, I tend, I read that stuff, I study that stuff, I'm intrigued by that stuff, but I, I, I run away from it like the plague because I'm very concerned that the, the gospel message that I just shared with you, I don't ever want that tainted. I, I, want, I want my credentials as good as they can be. Uh, that nobody, you know, nobody looks at it. Well, you know, he said this thing about those aliens living on the moon and just, you know, I just said, you know, like Joseph Smith did from the Mormons, you know, said that the, the moon was occupied by human beings. So ten, tends to yank the carpet out from underneath you. Yes. Me too. Yeah. I sleep on things and then I wake up and think I hear the trumpet and I'm like, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know, Paul, in my mind, it's finally dawned on me whether I'm dead or whether I'm alive, I'm going to be raptured. So I was excited about that. But lately, I hear on HCF, I believe. Whatever they say, well, we who are living, and I'm going, wait a moment. The inventor can go first. Yep. On their go with them. Am I correct? Absolutely correct. Second Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, um, because they've already been in the presence of the Lord, it's just their body that's being resurrected. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whereas we are here in spirit and in body and will be taken, you know, in that moment. So for us, the raptus, the rapture, the harpazo, the sudden violent snatching away uh, that occurs there is going to be different than those that are dead. Because they're already in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, yep. You've already been judged. Yeah. Based upon whether you accept Christ or you reject Christ. The only judge that so the reward comes in two phases. Uh, the first phase is when Christ sets up his kingdom, we will rule and reign with him. Okay? 
you know, others are going to have high positions of authority, you know, I'll probably be like the dog catcher, you know, some lower thing. I'm just, I don't know. Um, but we'll have authority with him. So we receive reward at his coming. And then at the great white throne judgment, uh, Revelation chapter 20, all who have ever lived are going to stand before him. And in particular, it says the book of the deeds will be open. So the things that we've done, but then the book of life is opened. And so that's how we're judged. Everyone there is, is your name in the book of life? Yes, it is. If your name is not in the book of life, then you are judged according to your deeds. Darn it. You know, um, if it, essentially what you're, what you're saying about at that point, if you're in the book of life, then you receive rewards. Paul telling us in first Corinthians that chapter three, where uh, he says that uh, we will be judged as by fire for reward. So that which was done of the flesh and out of sinfulness will be burned up. So if the record of what we've done for the Lord is what remains, everything else gets burned. I mean, for some of us, you know, that record of what was done for the Lord is going to read like a Hallmark card, you know, just a little one-page blurb. Others are going to have volumes uh, of that which was done from the Lord. I don't, I don't care if it's the, the you know, three-by-five card <laughs> that belongs to me or the great volumes. I will be in the presence of the Lord, and as Abraham was told, our Heavenly Father, God, is our great reward, right? So we have no fear of judgment as believers, only reward. And uh, to what degree is reward? I, I long ago just put that in the hands of the Lord. Just He's going to have to figure that all out. I don't, I don't sweat that at all, not, not even remotely. I, I think a lot of people that are very anonymous are going to have massive rewards. And people like me who have sat up here and been in the spotlight as, are going to have lesser rewards because we've received recognition and we've received you know, accolades and all of those things now. You know, I think the greater reward is for the person we don't know anything about who spends hours a day in prayer. Who's just pouring their heart out and you know anonymously doing the work of the Lord? So don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Uh, it's remarkable. Yeah. Does that answer that for now? Yeah. I ordered that book we talked about. That's on the way. So questions, thoughts, comments? Yes. Yes, and that's how they were taught to live. Yep. But they looked at signs and they looked at you know, what they were living. Like yeah, well, right. They referred uh, to the emperor as the beast. The emperor as the beast. Yes, sure. Yeah. yeah. Nero. So, yeah, I mean, it's always been that way. There are always been, right? John says uh, to us that the spirit of Antichrist has already gone out into the world, you know, thousands of years ago. It's it's developing. It's building. The birth pains are getting closer and closer together and stronger and stronger. So, you know, the hour in which we live and the things that are transpiring now are, are way more severe than uh, they've ever been in history. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
Right. The church has gone through that over and over again, where it becomes a prominent portion of the teaching and fades off. So much so that in the first 100 years, uh, the early church leaders said that if you did not preach the eminent return of Jesus Christ, then you were a heretic and didn't belong in Christianity. So, you know, if they said that in the first 100 years, we definitely better be preaching it today. Yeah. Yes. I pray that's and absolutely true. Yeah. I I think there is a revival happening, but I don't see it in mass. I think that uh, I think part of what we're seeing in the falling away is that the insincere people are washing out and the sincere people are becoming much more sincere. They're recognizing, oh, I've been goofing around, I'm not doing that anymore. And they're getting very real about their faith. That's what we've been talking about, being that there is such a great apostasy. You know, is it going to be a great revival? I pray to God. Yeah, yeah. I'll take either one, revival or rapture. I I would name names, but I'll be gracious. Yeah, yeah. It's remarkable. I heard uh, one of the most prominent teachers in American Christianity say, and I don't know how much he's going to stand by this in the coming days, but he he said of uh, was uh, I forget Genesis, I forget where I was, in Genesis where uh, the Lord says of Abraham and then later of the nation of Israel, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you, and this very prominent pastor said that does not pertain to Israel. <laughs> who who does it pertain to? And, uh, just, so we're, we're watching just this paradigm shift away from the authority of God's word and, and watching people really, you know, there, there was a man, Ken, Ken Graves will, will uh, sometimes introduced me as Dr. Will Cass. And I have to then get up and explain to people, I am not a doctor. I do not have a doctorate. I've never even studied for a doctorate. And that comes from a, an inside joke between Ken and I, where there was a young man who was part of Calvary Chapel's ministry, and he was unbelievably arrogant and created massive problems, and at one point even got into a shoving match in front of the whole church with another elder. Right, So he was put out of the church, and he went his way. And So we hear just a couple months later that what he did was he gathered up a bunch of wayward Christians, and he formed a church. And he appointed them as elders. So you're an elder, you're an elder, you're an elder, you're an elder. And now, if you could do us all a favor, guys, um, could you ordain me as a pastor? So he had, he had the elders that he just appointed ordain him as a pastor and even issue him a certificate of ordination. So you can just go around and like pronounce authoritative positions upon people. 
you know, approving of yourself amongst yourselves by yourself as you measure yourself amongst yourselves by yourself, right? I think you're a doctor, <laughs> you know. Maybe I should just go around and start knighting people, you know what I'm saying? Just uh, arise, you know. I just, it's, it's weird. It's weird how people behave. And within the church, we're seeing a similar thing. Where people approve, well, that's a good teaching. You should share that with other people. Why don't you? Oh, I don't agree with that. So they're approving. What does the word of God say on these subjects? Right? Upon rapture, upon these other things that people are deciding, I don't think we should teach that. I don't think we should believe that. I don't think we should. Marriage isn't always between a man and a woman. It could be, I mean, a man isn't actually a man according to the standards by which, you know, biology doesn't determine. Wait a minute. Right? It didn't Jesus tell us this would be happening, right? Where they call that which is evil good and that which is good evil, and they're redefining everything. I don't care what pastors are doing around us. I know what the Lord has called me to do. And uh, we've been right here for more than 20 years preaching God's word just like that. And, th and I think that's, you know, commonly people show up to these services and for for some of them it's like yep i knew that yep i knew that yep i knew that don't be bored with it J just understand that's actually a good sign <laughs> like you've been well fed if you know these things and you've been taught these things and you live by these things that's good right there are lots of people i i was with a group of pastors years ago talking about alcohol use in the church and I start quoting things regarding the biblical premise of drunkenness. And one of these pastors says, wait, 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 wait a minute. He stops. Every, there's 15 of us in the room. He stops everything. He goes, where are you getting this stuff? <laughs> well, it was Genesis. And then there's, you know, Leviticus and, well, Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel First 1 Kings and 2 Kings and, you know, Chronicles, you know, don't even know the word. They're pastors and do not even know the word of God. Standing in the pulpit week by week, it's, it's tragic. It's tragic that this is going on in, in the church. In the world, right? I mean, of course. Of course. You, you, you're unaware. You're oblivious. You don't know. Of course. In the church? How in the world did we get to this place? They rejected, well, you know, I like uh, Ken Ham. You know, he's saying it's because they rejected the first 11 chapters, right? Genesis 1 to 11. You rip that foundation out from underneath the church and everything just starts crumbling along with it. You know, anywhere you start, you start dismantling the word of God and then everything's up for grabs, you know? I don't mean to ruffle any feathers, but the scripture says that women should not be pastors in the congregation of the church, right? And I know in our postmodern culture of feminism, there's a whole bunch of people like, ah, you're treading on thin ice, buddy. You know, it just get really, look, there are many things in the scripture that it says that I don't like. You know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Why would you be offended of that? Do you understand how Christ loved the church? Do you understand how selfless he was? I don't particularly care for that. 
in the flesh. I would prefer to live like King Tut. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just in my flesh, in my sinfulness. Oh, it makes me miserable. It, it torments my soul. I can't live that way. Selfishness destroys me, destroys my wife, destroys everything around us. So, out of obedience, I tried my best to obey what is written in God's word. And so is it. If we, if we grab one verse and we go, I don't like that. I'm cutting that out of my Bible. Get rid of that. Andrew Jackson, just you know, cutting up his Bible. Don't like this, don't like this, don't like this. You start doing that anywhere with the word of God, then everything's up for grabs. God didn't literally create in six days. It was more like six million years or six immeasurable eons of time. Oh, rip that out of the Bible. Well, then the next one's up for grabs and the next one's up for grabs and the next one's up for grabs. We have to rest upon the authority of God's word. <laughs> Prophecy is what, 26.8% of the Bible? If you take 26.8% of this book and just throw it away, Right. I always liken that to, you know, take 26.8% of the directions that someone gives you to get to their house and just throw them away. You're not going to get there. We're trying to we're trying to navigate from right here now in time to eternity. So I need 100% of the directions. I need 100% of what is recorded here, not the portions that I like. More? Do you um, think the rapture needs to happen at any certain time of the year, fall, spring, anytime? No, I don't think that it needs to fall on. Um, well, I know this for certain. It's going to happen at 1123. I know that. You can write that down. Uh, PM, yeah, because <clears throat> it, it will be 1123 somewhere on planet Earth, you know, so um, anyway, um, people do that, and, and, you know, it's going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets, it's going to happen, you know, at Pentecost, it's going to happen, it doesn't have to happen anywhere that we think, I, my suspicion is, right, Feast of Trumpets, I know that makes sense, but at the same time, you know, God does what he wants, if Jesus said, I got no idea, the Father knows, the angels don't know, and someday we're all going to find out together. My suspicion is Jesus doesn't know, the angels don't know, the Father does know, and someday we're going to all find out together. Yeah. I, I, I don't buy into, there were guys that were doing that, remember the blood moons? Right? There were guys that were doing blood moons and feasts, and it's going to happen, and, this just, and then when that all fizzled, a whole bunch of people left the church. Because they, were, they, they bought into that concept of, oh, you know, prediction, and then it failed. So the Bible must have failed. No, no. The Bible is as sure as it ever has been. So long answer to a short question. Sorry. But yeah. Right, right. Promote that it would be the last because the first four feasts have been biblically done, yeah, fulfilled by yep. Jesus. Yep. So that, that was my 
I, I believe it will. I have no way of saying that. Yeah. And again, that goes back. It, it robs me of my credibility and my authority if I start trying to assign those things. You know, it, it, it's, you know, oh, it's this one. It's coming. And it passes, right? How many of you guys read the book, 88 Reasons Why God Will Not Be Late in 88? <laughs> no? Yeah, yeah. Pretty useless book now, you know what I'm saying? It's just really, you know. What was astonishing was to see him the following year publish 89 reasons why God will not be. I mean, just, I'm not kidding, literally, you know. It's, it's foolish. So, you know, consider. Yes. China and Islam, the Islamic nations, people are coming to the Lord in mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, that's true. Very true. Yeah, there is a mass revival happening in China and Islam. Underground, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a huge number, more than 180,000 Muslims all throughout the Middle East who have come to know the Lord through dreams, and they've documented that where. Uh, Isa comes to them, which is Jesus. So from the Quran, Jesus is described in the name that they use is Isa. And Isa comes to them in dreams. And most of the time, there's very little that Isa relays to them. Isa tells them, you need to have the faith and the strength to go down the street and uh, knock on the door of that church and talk to those Christians. Or your neighbor that lives next door. Who, who's, you know, you've been watching silently. They've been living out their faith. You need to go over and have coffee with them and talk to them about Christianity and Jesus and the Bible. So more than 180,000 uh, Muslims uh, throughout the Middle East that have surrendered their lives to Christ under threat of death, you know. But the nice thing is, you, you know, you can convert to Islam and there are massive punishments there. The, the, the big punishment comes if you convert someone, if you go there and try to evangelize someone, and I mean, who are they going to imprison or torture or kill at this point? Isa? I mean, he's showing up in their dreams. It's not like the neighbor, right? It's, it's they're being converted in their own hearts. So, yes, revival is happening. More? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, right, which is part of why Jesus is telling us that, uh, you know, some people will be grinding at the wheel, others will be at work in the field, and others will be asleep in bed. Because in some locations it will be nighttime, and other locations it will be high noon, and other places people will be just waking up when it happens. Another aspect to the fact that Jesus tells us that the whole world will see his return all at the same time is uh, that... Uh, foresaw the coming of worldwide communications. I mean, there were events that happened in world history in Jesus' day where the far side of the world didn't hear about it for months and years. Things happened, empires rose, empires fell, and people that lived, you know, mile, hundreds and thousands of miles away didn't hear about it for months and years until they finally uh, came to it. All of the world seeing it at the same time is an indication that the Bible foresaw worldwide communications.
Yes. If the universe is just a span of his hand, hmm. why couldn't we all see it? Right. Yep. Absolutely. Just the supernatural aspect of seeing him all at once. Yep. And the veil being, you know, the veil of the spiritual eyes being torn back and everyone seeing him. Yep. For sure. Absolutely can be. Yes. Well, um, we, we've seen this happen. Things, things boil to a crescendo and then ease off. Okay. Uh, any of the ladies who have given birth to children, right? How the contractions come in waves. And get bigger and bigger, and this one's way worse than the last one, and then they ease off. When it eases off, those ladies that are giving birth don't sigh relief and think, oh, well, thank goodness, that's the end. Uh, I'm not going to have to give birth. <laughs> I'm not going to have to. It's coming. The fact that we see these big rises of cataclysmic things and then the easing off of things, I mean, 9-11 was a wake-up call, and the churches were full. And two weeks later, it was pretty much right back down to where it had been before 9-11. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this harshly but accurately. You're a fool if you go back to sleep. The hour in which we live right now and the things that are going on, right? If the government eases way off and things return to normal and everybody forgets 2020 and all that has transpired and we get back to, like, nice life and you fall back to sleep spiritually, you're a fool. Where, where we live right now and what's going on is telling us this is, this is a birth pain. This is a massive contraction that we're going through right now, and there's much worse coming. There is much worse coming. Listen, man. Tribulation begins. First three and a half years, one quarter of the world's population is wiped out. All of South America, all of Central America, all of North America, all of Western Europe's population dead. Consider how bad it's going to get. Yes. Any backing They're certainly not acting like it right now. Yeah. Well, there is, it's a true statement that once the government has seized power, they never relinquish it. Yeah. So once they've tightened the reins, they just <coughs> continue. So I, I don't, I don't even want to predict that. I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm short of, of the Lord's intervention and Christians becoming involved and reversing the process of decay. Um, I think it is just going to get worse. I do. I think it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Liberty Council. Yep. Yeah. 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 Nope. 
and he'll be the last child. <laughs> Unless Eric runs. But anyway. <laughs> Do you think there'll be a civil war? I hope not. It'd be the worst. We need anybody that thinks along those lines. Civil war, insurrection. You you need to study civil war. It is the most horrendous armed conflict that ever occurs. You 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 won't know who to trust. Your neighbors, right? They won't trust you. You won't trust them. You won't know who's telling the truth. I mean. And that's the point, isn't it? This is why people are considering it right now, right? Because you don't know who's going to report you for what. It's it's spun right out of control. We've been pitted against one another. More? No, now you're really wanting the food, right? Yeah, okay. All right. If there's no more, then we'll pray. Last thoughts, comments, questions? We can talk afterwards also. We can we can hang out and, and mill around and mingle. So if we're all good for now, why don't we why don't we stand and we'll pray? Lord God, we are very grateful. We're very grateful for your word. Lord. And the fact that you've given it to us and you've done so much to teach us, show us, fill us with your knowledge. Lord, I pray that we would each be obedient to you, each one of us. That's different for each of us. But whatever it is you want us doing, Lord, show us those things. Give us the strength of your Holy Spirit that we could live by those things. We could rejoice in knowing that your kingdom had come and your will had been done in us and through us. We surrender ourselves to you all over again. Use us in the coming days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.